3: One is familiar with Keith Smith. at This point, he's been on through the NBA season, NBA playoffs. He is from Spot Track Celtics blog, also from the Front Office Show with Trevor Lane, who also joins the show every once in a while as well. He's on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA. Keith, how are how are you doing? On my lap. I'm
4: doing well. Thanks for
3: having me. Absolutely. Um, I saw t- we have we have taco beef. We have taco fall uh, coming after <laughs> one of your tweets last night. You said something about Max Struess and. Um, they kept Taco. Uh, the Celtics kept Taco in, in lieu of uh, Max Struess. so that's where that came from. He he responded by saying, "You were wrong," and he's just grinding, enjoying himself right now. So, how do yeah, we? Uh, how do we feel about that?
4: I mean, it's fine. We, you know, there, there's literal paper trail of what the transaction process was. But that's yes. fine. I mean, Taco's a you know he's a great guy. You know, cool story. You know, incredible. You know, human being, and you know, I, I mean, you know, we we'll wish obviously nothing but the best for him. It was just, you know, that was just. I guess he got caught in the crossfires of a of a tweet that he thought know, it was a stray. He thought you were just giving him a stray. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, it it happens sometimes, uh, such as life in the big world of sports. I yeah, guess.
3: and if you just go check out the uh, transactions, it, it shows you what 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 happened, right? It shows you, it shows you. Ex- so I think ultimately, I'll say it for you. I think he was wrong, but you know what? He can he can feel about it how he wants to feel about it. I'm not gonna not gonna go after Taco. I saw Taco when he was at UCF playing the University of Memphis. He's still a large human being, and I hope his uh, yeah. I hope his basketball endeavors work out for him. Regardless, um, yeah, now,
4: absolutely. I mean, that's yeah, that's what I hope hope as well.
3: Now I have to say, uh, we we have to start on the Celtics. How are you feeling? I know you're a longtime Celtics fan, and uh, that did not go as planned. More talented team ended up falling short because I think in a lot of in a lot of ways, while you have the Heat. And a bunch of undrafted players, including Max Struce, who we just talked about to a certain extent. Um, you, you have all those undrafted players stepping up. You have the all-NBA players for the Celtics sort of shrinking in the moment. Uh, 13 for 46 from the field in Game 7. Uh, two for 19 between Jason Tatum. or two Not two for 19, two for uh, 13 from uh, three um, between Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Uh, it, 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 I think 10 turnovers between the two in that game. Eight from Jalen Brown. It was just – that was – I, I said this to Connor yesterday. I have no allegiance to the Celtics. I, uh, I I don't feel any type of way from a fan perspective about the Celtics, but they were a frustrating, frustrating watch during that series.
4: Yeah, absolutely. There, there were a lot of times where, as you looked at it, it was, you know, by the time we get to game three of the series, where they, you know, you kind of put it nicely, let go with the rope, to put it not so nicely, they quit. And there was a point where it's like, all right, if this is how it's gonna go, just get swept. Right. Get right. swept. Put us all out of our mercy, our misery, right? Have mercy on us and let's move on. And and then, you know, they win game four. And it's like, all right, you know, they can win. They win game five pretty handily. And it's like, all right, this is starting to feel good. Then you get that miracle in game six. And so now all of a sudden you're bought in to like, all right, this is gonna happen and it's just that crowd on game seven was as loud as I've ever heard. Like, I've never heard a crowd that fired up before in my life. And when Jason Tatum went down and rolled his ankle, 26 seconds I think it was into the game, it just took the life out of the whole building, you know. And I'm not yeah. going to say that's why they lost, because that's that'd be doing a disservice to Miami. Miami outplayed them. They played well and all that stuff. But Tatum just wasn't the same after that. He could, you could tell he, he he had no real push off, no explosion. A couple times he was able to get to the basket. You could almost see he didn't want to land on that that leg. Like it it was it was a mess. And you know, when Boston needed Jalen Brown to be you know the All NBA Supermax guy. Yes, wasn't it? You know, he played, you know, and I don't have a problem saying this because he said it himself. One of the worst games he's ever played. You know, shot terribly, turned it over eight times. You know, anytime the Celtics had a little bit of momentum, it seemed like he took a bad shot, and then that turned into a good shot for Miami. And then on the other end, Miami made everything. Yeah. You know, there's a bunch of stats rolling around about how they shot better than anybody's ever shot in a series before in open shots and those kind of things. And, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, that's a tough team in Miami that grinds. They play very hard. Uh, they know what their limitations are, so they work around them. And they have execute very very well so you know they they earned that series you know nobody gave it to them, nobody handed it to them. they went out and took it
3: um is there any reasonable explanation you you talked about the crowd and the air being taken out of them by the jason tatum injury but previous to that there was no injuries and you look at the celtics in general that team did not fare well at home five and six at home in that playoff run like uh,
4: is there any reasonable explanation for that nope i I don't get it. couple years in a row now that they've struggled at home after being one of the better teams at home in the regular season. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. I think early in series this group, especially this current iteration, this year's team, they just were too cool for school at times. It yep. was just, yeah, we just need to show up. You know, we're, we're going to win. And they did that against Atlanta, and it backfired. They did that against Philadelphia, and it backfired. And then they did it against Miami, and it really backfired. Because that's the thing is, you know, like I always say, if you don't want a rolled ankle in game seven to not be a thing, well, then win in early, right? Mm-hmm. Win the series earlier. You know, don't mess around in the early rounds. I mean, they were down Malcolm Brogdon by the, you know, by the time we get to the playoffs, and it felt like. By the time he got through the regular season healthy, which was the first one he's done since his rookie year uh, without a major injury, it was like, oh, man, are we going to be in a spot where, like, are we playing with, you know, you know fire here? Because he's got all the way through, and then he went down in the in the East Finals. So it's just been a really, you know, bewildering thing where they just they don't play well at home, and I think it's just because there seem to be some level of mindset whether they admit to it or not of, yeah, we just need to show up. That's all we're going to do when we got this one. It, it felt like
3: uh Especially in the the, the the playoff series, there's just there was a fair amount of complacency with with that team. They thought they could just roll out the ball and be more talented than each team they were playing. And they're probably, I mean, when we talk about the most talented teams in the NBA, they're right there at the top, uh, probably top two uh, considering what their rotation looks like. But it, it, did you did you sense that all year um, with them? I know there's a lot of Celtics fan that's fans that seem to uh, to sense the, the, the fair amount of complacency. With that team as a whole?
4: Yeah, after about the first quarter of the season, uh, they just they didn't feel like the same team. They they came out kind of on a mission. And it felt like this was like, Okay, this team lost the finals and they're 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 going to make sure that doesn't happen again. And then they came on. I mean, I remember talking to you at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. They were just obliterating teams, yep. right? I mean, they were just absolutely destroying teams on a night-in-night-out basis. And I'm sitting here already in my head thinking, like, this is going to be one of the best Celtics teams I've ever watched in my life because that was a little they not not, update. They were on such a historic offensive pace that even coming off it a little bit was still going to be a historically good offense. And then, you know, and then they – you know, they, there was no point where you could look to it and say, "Ah, oh, that guy went down for 25 games or something like that." Yep. They never had an injury like that. They made it through the season mostly healthy. It was just, I think you're right. I think it's they got kind of complacent. They stopped doing a lot of little things. The defense slipped big time uh, throughout yep. the course of the year. They get it back towards the end of the year and started figuring it out again. And you kind of thought, "All right, they're, they." They kind of cruise into the playoffs here, and they're ready to go. And I believe when the Bucs started struggling against the Heat in the first round, I felt like now, in retrospect, that was a little bit of the Celtics downfall, almost, of all right, we got this. Like, we're we're through to the finals. We just got to win the series. You know, we got to win, and they were tested by Atlanta, really tested by Philly, and then they ran up against that Heat team that if you're not locked in and ready to play, they're going to beat you, and that's exactly what happened.
3: Um, I have been very critical of Joe Missoula throughout this playoff run. I just don't know if the, the adjustments, especially offensively, are there for him. It's uh, knock down threes. If we don't knock down threes, we'll lose. Like that's that's sort of what it feels like. Um, where are you at on him? I know early in the series, you you usually don't call for for jobs of guys, but you were you were ready to say maybe it's it's time to look in a new direction. Even even after one year and the second best record in the in the NBA during the regular season, where are you at on Joe Missoula right now? After uh, that that team made a, mounted a comeback and ultimately fell short.
4: Yeah, it was very much if you got swept out in embarrassing fashion. I didn't think they were going to fire him just because in today's NBA, they don't want to pay somebody to not coach for them. Right. And I think the belief was, you know, all right, yeah, you know, we're going to keep him because we just gave him an extension. We gave him the head job full time. We extended his deal, so there's nothing else we can do. But then when I look at it on the backside of it, it was, yeah, but you just lost the uh, game three in embarrassing fashion. And I thought they were going to lose in four. I really did. I thought yep. they were going to get swept. I, I think, you know, the way he rallied the troops, and I know some people are saying, well, it wasn't really him. It was Al Horford. It was Mark Smart. It was, you know, this player, that player. It wasn't Missoula. Well, I mean, I still think he was pretty heavily involved. And I thought he yep. did make some adjustments to the way they defended. I thought they made some adjustments to the offense from a – they they started running some different stuff and doing some different things. But what they never adjusted was all right, the threes aren't falling. There just wasn't anything else to go to. They trusted the math of get a lot of them up and they'll eventually fall and that's how it'll go down. And in and, and more often than not in the year that, that tended to work itself out, but a handful of times in the series it didn't and that became a big mess for them. So he's gonna be back next year. I've made my peace with that of you know, and I hope it You know, like a rookie player, rookie head coach, you know, learns and grows and comes back, you know, different and ready to attack in a different way.
3: And it's hard for me, like from an adjustment standpoint, I saw one major adjustment he made, and that was in the 76ers series when he went with the two-big lineup. Um, of Robert Williams and Al Horford. And I know Robert Williams from an injury standpoint. It's just been so hard to get him on the court and stay on the court. You've had to play him at, in spurts, and um, he, he's had his issues there. But that that adjustment worked out, but that's what Emei Udoka did all last year. I don't know how much credit I can give him for any type of adjustments. I didn't really see a whole lot of adjustment game-to-game game in these playoffs.
4: Yeah, I mean, in the East Finals, he did go back to the other lineup where he said, all right, they're only playing one big. They're spreading us out. You know, Rob's didn't switch on to Jimmy Butler all the time, and you know, that's becoming a mess for us. So he did go back uh, and switch back to the smaller lineup. I think, you know, he made some rotational adjustments. He got Grant Williams back in the mix. Uh, he basically said once Malcolm Brogdon got hurt, he basically said, all right, I got my seven guys, and that's it. You know, anybody yep. else out here, it's you know very much spot minutes. You're going to be thrown in there just to give somebody enough time to get a drink and catch their breath, and right back in they go. So, you know, those. I mean, defensively they changed their schemes. They started picking Miami up much higher up the floor. They were decided all right if we're going to, if they're going to run pick and roll. Would you be bothered walking into jump shots? You're going to have to walk into 20 to 25 foot jumpers <laughs> right. instead of 15 foot jumpers. So those things did change. But offensively, yeah, I mean they they changed. Their tactics, they started spreading the ball out a little bit more. They ran, you know, Jason Tatum with wide pick and rolls instead of the narrow pick and rolls that they generally like and stuff like that. They bore people to pieces because they didn't win, so it doesn't really matter. But, you know, he did make some, but the reality is there, you know, there was no point where it was you know we didn't find the one thing that worked where it's like hey this is going to work and this is going to work over and over and over again and that's going to be what we do until you know Miami either you know, completely sells out to stop it, which will open up other things. Or, you know, Miami doesn't go. They they never able to find that one thing.
3: Now you're a money guy, obviously with Spot Track. I, I mean, we have five years, two hundred and ninety five million dollars that that's due to Jalen Brown this offseason. Again, I have been long on the the train of you cannot break up the, the two the the best wing pairing, two way wing pairing in the NBA and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So five years two hundred and ninety five million dollars this offseason. Uh we'll see if they pay that that bill. I'd imagine they will. And then next year five years three hundred and eighteen million dollars due to Jason Tatum. How is this all gonna work out? Are they gonna be able to fill out a roster the way they have the past couple years with those two contracts on the books?
4: Yeah, we're gonna see. It's gonna be tough. That's the reality, right? It's gonna be Really, really hard for them to get into a place where it is, you know, how do we, you know, do this? The new CBA is designed to prevent things like what the Warriors have done for years, which is draft, develop, pay our own guys, and then supplement them through, you know, a really good trade for Andrew Wiggins. Then we're going to pick off, you know, veteran signings here and there, and that's how we're going to build this thing up. The new CBA is designed to, if you want to pay all your own guys, that's fine. You can still do that, but you're not going to be able to sign free agents. You're not going to be able to make trades as easy. You're not going to be able to do much beyond signing your own draft picks and signing players for the minimum. That's basically what you're down to. So the Celtics are, you know, this next year is, you know, it's been misstated a few places. Jalen Brown's still under contract for next season. Yep. he got one year left. This would be an extension that kicks in. So next year, is the kind of it's it's almost a reprieve year for all these really expensive teams. Uh, all right, figure stuff out, get your stuff in order. I don't think it necessarily costs Boston Jalen Brown this summer. I think there's a chance you know he's back and he's back on the supermax deal. But I think what it is going to cost them is all right. We don't know that we can go into two seasons from now with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon. Right. Derek White, Marcus Marr, Rob Williams, a re-signed Grant, Grant Williams, it is going to cost them a handful of these guys where it's going to be, or right, we're going to end up trading a couple guys away that are going to be slightly different looked, and that's going to be how it goes. And that's that's just the reality of where it is, right? That That's just what's going to happen in this new CBA. Now, I'll say what I said all along. If they offer Jalen Brown the supermaps, Ah, uh, when they're able to on July 1st at midnight, and they say, "Here's the supermax extension offer." And Jalen Brown says, "Yeah, I'm good. I'm not going to sign it." Right. That's it. Then you got to trade him, right? Because that's the sign of he's not going to say, one player, Kawhi Leonard. He's the only one who's turned down the supermax contract to this point. Um, so you're in a spot where, all right, then we got to move. We we got to got to move on from him and got to reset that way. And in some senses, yeah, that sucks. But in other ways. All right, well, we're in a spot at least where you know, we know now. We know what's going yeah.
3: on. Um, do you think that the relationship between Jalen Brown and the Celtics is uh bad, Rocky? Do you think it's over uh, overdone um what we've heard about him and, and and his role and his disappointment in his role within the Celtics yeah, organization?
4: Think, in my sense that's all been a little bit overblown. Um a lot of that's come from outside. I think it's people who are you know, wishful thinking of, you know, I'd like to get him because it's funny. Most of the times when you hear those reports, it's from some market that then immediately follows it up with, you know, what our guys could do is they could do this trade for him. And it's like, yeah, Jalen like, Brown, future Grizzly. Yeah, right. And you know, and I've seen some of it from Memphis, a lot from Atlanta, a lot from Portland, where it's you know some some insider that has ties to you know maybe that local team is you know yeah well I heard he's not real happy you know so then it's so I think we should trade for him and it's like when you follow it up with the trade that to me says eh, I'm not so sure. I think Jalen Brown is the kind of guy who is. He's attuned to things. I think he's, you know, got things where he doesn't necessarily like the fact they offered him for Kevin Durant. I yeah. think, you know, we all know that definitely happened. At some level, you know, he was involved in a potential Kevin Durant trade last summer. And I think he's like, Hey, why me? You know, why is it always me? And I and I don't blame him for that and I don't blame him if ultimately says, You know what, I'm tired of it. I don't wanna be the one. I wanna be somewhere where it's hey, we're gonna build it for you, right? You're going to be the guy here, and we're going to build build it around that. I wouldn't have any problem if that's the decision he made. So, you know, we'll see. I don't. I, I think at the end of the day, almost 300 million dollars is probably going to be more than enough to, you know, to sway <laughs> you any terms. You know. And Gabe, we know how this works, right? Been a year or two, you're not happy, you asked for a trade down. Yep. That's just how it goes in the
3: NBA. Yeah, no question, no question. Talk with Keith Smith at Keith Smith NBA. Now Heat Nuggets NBA Finals. What are your immediate thoughts, and then we'll we'll dive into it heavy.
4: I think it's gonna be a really good finals. I think you know people who are you know saying, "Ah, this is boring. I'm not even gonna watch." You're gonna miss out on a pretty good finals. I think you know Denver's really really good. I think people have slept all year on how good the Nuggets are. Um, I I remember you know saying it with you guys you know very early in the season, like you think Denver might might find this could be their year that they break through. I didn't necessarily pick it, but I thought you know they'd be in the mix. And then you know, Miami's going to be tough. It's going to be you know really really fun uh, to watch these two teams go head to head.
3: Now the 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 main situation here for the Heat that they have to get under control is Jokic, and I I've watched Jokic throughout these playoffs face some of the best defensive bigs in the NBA. Uh, Let's leave DeAndre Ayton out of this. I don't think he's in that conversation, but Rudy Gobert and Anthony Davis. I I look at what the Heat were able to do against the Celtics, getting into that zone. I don't know if you can really run that against a guy like Jokic. He is a zone pick. He will pick that thing apart. It feels like limb from limb with the amount of passing he's able to do out of the high post, out of the low post, wherever he is at on the floor. Um, How do you think Bam – can stick in there against a guy like Nikola Jokic?
4: Yeah, it have to be a lot better than he's been against them historically. Now in small sample sizes, these two teams only play twice a year. So, you know, it's like we have, you know, you know double-digit games to work on. I mean, it's been like six or eight games that they've gone head-to-head, but Jokic has always done well against them. Bam tends to commit really dumb fouls mm-hmm. at times where it's like, what are you doing? And And you can't expose yourself to, all right, well, you know, it, it's Al Horford who's mostly going to hang out around the arc so we can get away with playing Haywood Highsmith or guarding right. him with Caleb Martin for the next four minutes of this game. You can't do that with Jokic. You're going to have to then, Bam can't be on the floor. You're going to have to go to Kevin Love and Cody Zeller and hope Eesh. for the best because that's still all you got. And it's, it's just not going to be good. I think the other thing is, and this is where you feel hardened if you're Miami, right, with Jokic. You have to have plan A, B, C, D, and E. Because yep.
3: And use all him. of them. <laughs> right.
4: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you're going to throw defense A at him, and he's going to solve it eventually. Right? He's going to figure, all right, I, but now I know what they're doing. I got it. Let's go. Here Here we are. And then it's going to be, all right, we're going to change it up. We're going to do something different. There's no coach I'd rather have in the entire league than their exposure if I had to plan multiple game plans. And there's probably no group of players I'd rather have than that Miami Heat group if I say, hey, we're flowing into plan. D right now because it you know plan A isn't working and I don't want to unleash B yet so let's go let's go all the way down the list to D and the guys will just on the fly in the middle of the game say all right we got it all right here's what we're doing and off we go it's that's going to be the chess match as much as anything else is going to be Jokic versus the Heat as a whole um, the other thing is different from the Celtics. His guys know how to space around him for shots, how to cut for layups, how to cut for all those things. You're not going to see the standing around that Boston did a lot. They're going to get Jokic the ball where he can work, either at the nail or on the block against the zone, or even if it's just straight facilitating from the top of the arc, and he'll be picking guys out left and right. And the other thing is Jokic won't care if it's, Right, I took five shots, then I—I don't care. I got 12 assists, and we won. That's
3: all that matters. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I look at Michael Malone, and I don't know if he's gotten a whole lot of respect in his in his days with the Nuggets. But has he earned your respect? I, looking at this playoff run, obviously Nicole Jokic makes everything incredibly easy, right? He—he he on the floor can make adjustments for himself. But what what have you thought of Michael Malone? I, I think he—I think he has earned my respect at the very least.
4: Yeah, I mean, I always respected him at least, at the very least, as a very good regular season coach. But I think what he's shown in this playoffs is he can, you know, get his team ready for multiple different styles of play. I mean, they played uh minnesota team that plays super big and they were able to make it work they then then uh played a sun's team where it was hey it's going to be their stars against our depth and they warmed down and and took care of them and then with the lakers it was a little bit of both right they yep. played you know, with a really good big with ad and they had their kind of stars and they, they really kind of locked in and i know those are all close games but they swept them right out of the playoffs i you know mike michael malone is he's a good coach he's you know i, I don't know that it's I still, even with Jokic and the rest of the guys, I don't know that this is his ideal roster. I think he'd almost rather still have, give me a whole bunch of defensive guys and we'll win 85-80, and that's how I want to play it out. Uh-huh. I think he's been very adaptable to, hey, let's build this roster around. you know Jokic and our offensive talents, and we'll lean that direction because that's what we've got right now.
3: Now, I've got Nuggets in six. What do you have?
4: Yeah, I'm picking the same. I'm Well, I'm going to actually pick Nuggets in seven. Okay. Um, there's two two reasons for that. One. The last series of the year. I want as much basketball as I can get, so selfishly, yeah. I'm yeah, gonna hope, feel hope for seven games. Yeah. Right? This is where I get a little melancholy, right? Because it's a lot of a lot of months to come without meaningful basketball games again in the NBA. So, so I want I want as many of them as I can get, but I also it's a level of respect that I have for Miami. I feel like it's a lot closer, like Nuggets and five, talent wise, but. We've already seen, you know, talent-wise, it was Bucks in four or five, it was Knicks in six or seven, it was Celtics in four or five, and the Heat are still here. So I think they're going to battle. They're going to make them work. I think they're going to play really, really tough. You know, it'll be really fun to watch how that comes together.
3: Now we do have some coaching hirings going on right now. We still have three to fill. Looks like Monty Williams may be one of the three to Detroit. They're they're prepped to give him ten million dollars a year. I really like that with that young team, Monty Williams with a lot of experience. Again, it's always hard to project teams like that when they'll get over the hump, how they'll get over the hump. But Monty Williams seems like he'd be a, a a really good positive influence on that young team.
4: Yeah, I think so. I think he's a pretty good coach that builds teams up fairly well. I think you know we saw him do a nice job with that Suns team around that. Now that Pistons team, they don't have a. Chris Paul coming in around a Devin Booker to, to go with, but they've got some good young talent there. They've got some nice veteran players and they're committed. They didn't trade Bogdanovich and Burks at the trade deadline last year. Cause they're, they're trying to win this season. Yep. They're, they're committed to let's, let's, you know, let's have a good team and let, let's go and let's try to try to get in there. So I think, you know, I, I think their, their goal is going to be, let's make, start making that play and push, which is kind of, you know, how it went a little bit for the They ended up getting very good far quicker than I think anybody Expected below. Let's make that push and let's go from there. And I think Monty Williams is a good guy to help lead
3: that. Now the, the Raptors bench has been cleared out. Nick nurse and Adrian Griffin, Nick nurse, the 76ers, Adrian Griffin to the bucks, both in the Eastern conference. Again, uh, it's interesting to me just when you look at it on paper, the Raptors have missed it. They missed the playoffs two out of the last four years, but I, I do believe in both of these guys, but I am of the thought with both of these particular situations you don't know how it's going to unravel. With the with the 76ers, there's no James Harden. They gotta find a, a replacement for that production. They could take a step back. With the Bucks, you have a new owner. Uh, Giannis has two years and a player option. You you just don't know what he, he's talked about potentially going to other teams. Am I am I wrong for thinking that both these guys may be hopping into winning situations right this second but in 5 years they could be potentially hopping themselves into into being fired?
4: Yeah, I think there's something to that, but I also think most coaches know, you know, hey, it's you know, it's very rare that you're going to have a pop. It's even, uh, you know, rare that you're going to have a spolster, spolster right? Like most coaches, five years, that's our window. If we're not getting it done at, you know, incredibly high levels, we're probably going to be gone. I mean, even Mike Puttenholzer, right, won a title uh, two years ago, and then now he's gone, right? He's out of there. Bonnie Williams had a seam in the finals. Two years ago, and now he's gone. You know, you, that's just how quick it comes for coaches in the NBA. And and I think you know they're both going in there with the sense of you know all right, hey, I got a plan. Let's try to win, and win right away around two of the best players in the league and Giannis and Embiid, and let's go from there.
3: Uh, I know most people are, are generally in lockstep on this, but I want to hear your thoughts. Do you think the hiring and firing practices in the NBA are just way too overblown? Just the the, the ring chasing culture, and if you don't get there, you're fired. You're out of a job, even if you're. Mike Budenholzer, who won it two years ago.
4: Yeah, I think so. I think a little bit. I think it is in all sports. I think it's mm-hmm. we're, we're now fully into the world of what have you done for me lately, right? Where it's you know if you're not an all timer if you're not Bill Belichick in the NFL, where you're you know you're, you're cemented for life basically, it feels like, or at least for as long as you want to be, because you, know, you had two decades of sustained you know contention and multiple Super Bowls. It probably does turn into a spot of all right, yeah, right, we're done, Like moving on, you didn't win, yeah, we gave you three, four years, we're moving on, because it, it's that old saying of it's easier to fire the players or the coach than it is all the players, and I think we're now at a point where that's what it is. I will be very interested in the NBA with the new CBA rules and all those things that are coming in that I think are going to make rosters cycle even more. Do teams want to lock into, hey, our continuity is in our coach? You know, we're going to find the guy and have that be – that's how we stay. You know, we stay with that coach, and that's you know, the guy we're going to run with moving forward. I think we may see some of that, but but it's going to be very interesting to watch how that develops.
3: With the new CBA and the luxury tax uh, sort of uh, cut off there, where you you if you pay too much, you won't have the mid-level exception. Do you do you view that? And obviously, we'll see it in action. It's an effort clearly for the NBA. Adam Silver, they want more parity. They they're trying to cut down on super teams. Um, but do you think that's a, a you know just looking forward to it? Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing?
2: Um,
4: I don't know yet. We're going to find out. Right, right. It's going to take probably two, three years uh, of watching this play out. I think there's going to be a lot of unintended consequences. I think you're going to see teams break up earlier than they ever have because you're mm-hmm. going to see teams go in and say, hey, we're going to make a decision right now because we can't get into this spot locked in unless we're certain this is the group to lock into. I think you're going to see some players get overpaid just with the idea of, hey, we're super expensive and we can't now put three guys into a trade to go get a $30 million player. So we'll give one guy $20 million and that's how we'll you'll know, be able to go get you know, expensive players via trade. I think you're going to see some of that. I think you're going to see some stuff with the players, younger players. It's going to be all right, you didn't hit in your first few years. We're moving on. Uh, I think patience levels are going to be an extreme low, and you're going to see teams cycle through much, much quicker than they do now. I mean, it already feels super fast. You know that. You know, it feels like these guys sign these extensions, and then we're talking a week later. It feels like they're halfway through them already. But I think that's going to be the life cycle of teams. You're not going to see these patient builds where it's. You know, five years in and it's like, all right, now we're ready. Now go get some players to come along and that's going to be two, three years in. Go get those guys and let's go.
3: And it's interesting because I don't think the NBA ultimately has been built on parity, although I don't think it's an overwhelmingly bad thing. It's been built on big markets, having big superstars and marquee matchups. And I think we've seen a lot of that even throughout these playoffs. Um, Celtics Heat Game 7 was very, very high because they've seen each other a lot and that's a marquee matchup. Uh, You had the Warriors and Lakers do really well in TV ratings because of those marquee matchups. I don't know if parody has necessarily been a massive part of the NBA's sellability. The the the, the consumer doesn't necessarily latch on to the parody. But I, I I don't know if I'm against trying. I don't know if I'm against seeing how it works. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that have followed the NBA, covered the NBA for a long time, that seem to be relatively resistant to it.
4: Yeah, I, I think it's just the idea of breaking teams up uh, more so than it is building teams and putting them together. I, I think there's a sense of, hey, we should reward these teams that draft really well. And and want to pay and, pay. and, 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 and decide to pay their guys yeah, and too. Commitment. That's it. They're very open to paying their players. I think that's the resistance to it. But, yeah, I, it, it, like I said, it's going to take two, three years of, uh, you know, Get through a few cycles of this to really get the sense of, all right, where are we really at with this? What have the full impacts been? You know, and how's it affected teams? How's it affected players? You know, is is this really still superstars are still getting their money? And all we've done is you know, eliminate the middle class. Like, yeah. yeah, I know that's a fear some have, but we're gonna find out.
3: Yeah, we will see. We will see. But Keith, always appreciate it, man. We'll do it again soon.
4: I appreciate it. Thank you for having
3: me. Yes, sir. That is Keith Smith, contributor to Track Celtics blog, the front office show with Trevor Lane. He's on Twitter at Keith Smith.
4: Call from mom.
0: Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
0: You have 47 new
1: voicemails.
0: Guests appear on the Smile Center hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN.
3: For your personal disasters, I know who you need to call, whether it's home, uh, residential properties that you manage, it's the office, call Service Master by Cornerstone. They're the largest franchise in a 600-mile radius, but don't just call them because they're the largest. Call them because they are the best at solving your problems. They were awarded Service Masters Franchise of the Year Award, meaning they are the number one Service Master Restore franchise in the USA. Best overall water damage restoration service in 2023. Make sure that you call them if you have a toilet that overflows, frozen pipes, busted water heater, you have water damage, there's mold, you have a fire and there's smoke damage. Anything that happens that is bad, Home, office, residential property, call Service Master by Cornerstone. No matter the place, no matter the size, they're here to help with the damage. Tyler, uh, the president and owner of Service Master by Cornerstone, and his team are here to help you at moments like this. They have a good motto. We don't pray for disaster. We just pray that we get called when there is one. So remember the name, locally owned, locally operated, Service Master by Cornerstone. If you want to get in touch with them, have a very, very simple number to call, 901-RESPOND, because they respond to all of your issues. That is 901-RESPOND for Service Master by Cornerstone. Now, we are live from the Service Master by Cornerstone studios, and it's about that time. I'm checking my clock. It's about that time for the Blitz.
0: Now, the biggest stories overloading the line. line. A bull rush of info. It's Gabe's Blitz on the Gabe Kuhn Show on 929
6: FM ESPN Memphis' Sports Station. All right, Gabe. First up today, the Detroit Pistons are prepped to offer Monty Williams $10 million. Good
3: lord, that's a that's a big coach contract. That's a bag. But you know what? The Pistons are showing me something. And you know what they're showing me? They're trying to win. They want to win. They have some young players, very young players, that are raw, that need to grow into themselves. Who better to bring them along than a guy who's been around the NBA, in the NBA coaching sphere, for going on 25-plus years? That's Monty Williams. Bring him in. He got the most out of a young Devin Booker. He got the most... To a certain extent, out of DeAndre Ayton, out of Cam Johnson, Mikal Bridges. They have Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, James Wiseman still a young player. They have a lot of young players that I think Monty Williams can instill some good things upon. Does that mean that I think here in five years they'll be a championship contender potentially winning the Eastern Conference Finals? Absolutely not. But you wanna see improvement year to year, and I think Monty Williams is the guy that can do that for you. Um this Pistons team, I know they won 17 games last year. <laughs> let me, let me be clear. I know they, they were just miserably bad last year, but I really don't think of all the young teams, they're as far off as we think. They have a lot of offensive talent. They have some defensive upside and, and I think they could make it happen. At least, uh, you know, get themselves back into that play in picture relatively
6: soon. So we'll see. Yeah, no, I completely agree with everything that you said. I think, The biggest point that you made was Monty Williams has a track record of developing young talent and turning them into a competitive team. I think he would be a perfect hire for the Detroit Pistons. Everybody knows my feelings on that team. We're currently building Pistons Island. I absolutely love what they're doing up there. I think Jalen Durham was the steal of the draft last season. I think that he can really turn into an impactful player for them. And, you know, you talked about they only won 17 games last year, which is true, but they also were the most obvious tanking team other than the Spurs because – Kate Cunningham probably could have played toward the end of. But oh, why would you? But push why it? would you? Right. Why would you? And it's absolutely brutal that they got the fifth pick. That's just like that man. I I honestly don't know how how I would react if you watch the worst basketball your team has played in fifty years, and they were like, "Here's the fifth pick as your prize." It's just man. It's and, just it's like getting peshied. And we just yeah. And
3: we just talked to. Uh, <laughs> Keith Smith about this, they didn't trade away Alec Burks and, and, and Bogdanovich when they had the opportunity to to go flip him for assets and everything else. It seems like they want to go win right now. Like They're actually trying to invest in the players they have, in the roster they have, in the front office. They're trying to find a coach. They're they're trying to invest right now to go win. Will they go win? I don't know. But at least you give it a give it a go. And I I get tired of teams perpetually tanking and getting high picks and then never being able to actually get that rebuild that they've been planning on getting done done right. And I and I think that this is an effort to finally get up out of the the
6: weeds at least a little bit. Yeah, so. they've made some really good draft picks over the last few seasons. Let's hope that trend continues with the fifth pick this year. I think that they could really be kind of a magic esque. Team next season, like the magic were this year. Competitive won some games that they shouldn't have, you know, get it get to like the 25, 33 wins, something around there. So I'm really excited. I hope that this happens. I really yep. do. <laughs> all right, Gabe, we've been talking about it kind of all show. Breaking news happened, reporting from Doc Holiday. DeAndre Williams has a chance or is thinking about returning to Memphis depending on his waiver. This is getting funny as hell.
3: I mean, that's the truth of it, and we've already talked about it a whole lot. And obviously, Jason Munns reported yesterday um, that his mom said he's not coming back. Now we get the Doc Holliday report, and we have uh, lawyers involved trying to get with the NCAA. One, let me start by saying I still think there's an uphill climb here. Uh, The reason he can uh, apply for another year is because he had an academic issue his first year at Evansville. I just have the sneaky suspicion just based on the NCAA's old sort of uh, thought process behind the University of Memphis, they might not be as receptive to it. And also because it's an academic issue, you have to have your questions about, is it going to are they going to be forgiving? Are they going to really want to give him a year back? for maybe him not doing a good job in the classroom. I don't know the full extent of the situation, but I still think there's an uphill climb here. But ultimately, there is a desperation to trying to bring back a 27-year-old. Like We've been trying to find out who Penny and the staff is targeting on the transfer portal and and maybe in high school recruiting, and we learned that it's DeAndre Williams, a guy who's been on campus already for three years and now maybe a fourth. Um, But that's okay. I I think we're all worried about what the roster is going to look like. Headed into next season. And this certainly helps that roster going into next year. You know where your points are coming from. You have another guy who can help facilitate, help bring guys along. And I think the biggest thing is bringing guys along. You have a lot of young guys. You have, you're have back to a big freshman class. You have a 27-year-old who's been in college for a long time who knows what what Penny is, what, what's expected of him in, in a Penny Hardaway coach system. He can help instill some different lessons upon those players, those young guys, Um, if he is still on campus going into next year.
6: Yeah, I do think that it's important to to point out that in his comments today, DeAndre Williams did say that he was operating under the idea that he did not have any eligibility left, and then someone came to him. So I'm curious if that means the Tigers may have reached out to him and said, hey, man, would you be open to exploring the possibility of being able to come back because of a waiver? But again— Educational waivers are very, very hard to do with the NCAA. I am hopeful that this happens. I think it would be great for the Tigers for all the reasons that you just laid out. But I think that, you know, we do need to pump the brakes for just a second and, and not get our hopes up too much because yeah. you don't want to get your heartbroken here. Yeah, that's, that's and, gonna and also, it, it's going it, to hurt.
3: It's going to hurt. Honestly, I would expect the worst, hope for the best, right? That's sort of where we're at. And didn't he have a
6: Raptors workout or like this week? He did. So but again, that's why I think yeah, that maybe he's may he not told, heard anything good. Yeah. And,
3: and I, you understand that. He's 26 going on 27. Like, the NBA is just not a great route, but with NIL and everything else, he comes back for another year. He can make a fair amount of money, and and he can be and he can be set. You know, so um, we'll see what happens. I wouldn't expect too positive news, but if you get that positive news, hooray, hip hip hooray! Do whatever you need to do. So we'll see. You're telling me there's a chance. There's a chance. There is a chance. Clearly, or else we wouldn't have got the the news drop there from DeAndre Williams. But that'll do it for the Blitz. We'll come back. And wrap up this show next with a rewind on the Gabe Kuhn Show, 92.9 FM. Yes. Yeah.
0: Memphis is home of the Giannato and Jeffrey Show. Weekdays from 2 p.m. till
6: 4 p.m.
2: And Nick Nurse. You just made the list. All right, so would you have picked Joel Embiid and the 76ers over Is it Kevin Clear Durant? to you that is what he happened. He chose Philadelphia. And if I'm one game better than Doc was... Oh, you're not going to make the, the Philly went from a doc to a nurse joke? No, I'm not. They're, they're <laughs> Memphis is home of the Giannotto and Jeffrey show. Weekdays from 2
0: p.m. till 4 p.m. 92.9 FM, ESPN, and Odyssey.
5: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medellin is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight
0: Now, it's the Rewind. Now, we play a battle Rewind. Brought to you by Memphis Barbecue Company. Rewind on 92.9.
3: Draft declaration day was today. Guys deciding if they're going to keep their name in or take their name out of the NBA draft. Some notable names. Oscar Shebway done at Kentucky. He's moving on to the NBA. Thomas Sonogo done at UConn. Moving on to the NBA. Julian Phillips done at Tennessee. That was a target of Penny Hardaway in that staff. But he's moving on from his college days and into the NBA. And also, of course, KO done at Memphis. All right, we'll see what happens with him. I I wish the best for KO going forward. Um, Also uh, worth mentioning, a couple of notable names that pulled their name out of the NBA draft, John L. Davis and Elijah Martin. They're headed back to FAU, so that's great news for Dusty May, great news for the AAC. But outside of that, nothing really to see there. What there is to see in a drop during the middle of the show, DeAndre Williams' situation is insane. We had uh, Jason Muntz reporting yesterday that his mom said he would not explore... Having another year at the University of Memphis. But Doc Holliday has reported and got it from the horse's mouth, got it from DeAndre and his lawyers that he is exploring ways to come back for another year at the University of Memphis. There, I listen, I think there's some desperation in trying to bring back a 27-year-old on an NCAA waiver. But that's okay. Like, we're all worried about what the roster is going to look like headed into next season. And this certainly helps that roster immediately next year. Some clarity on playmaking and scoring, an older presence, a guy that knows what Penny Hardaway expects of of, uh, of his players. And you have a big freshman class. DeAndre Williams could help them along, and the team could be good at the same time. Also on today's show, Harold Grater joined to. Uh, help facilitate the announcement of the 65th AutoZone Liberty Bowl Friday, December 29th at 2.30 p.m. Central Time. But if you want to play back the whole show, there's a whole lot wrapped up in there. Download the Odyssey app, search 92.9 ESPN. What's the biggest game tonight? Presented by FanDuel Sportsbook.
6: All right, Gabe, kind of slim pickings tonight, but I have Yankees at the Mariners, 8.40 p.m. Seattle, minus 140 is my pick. F the Yankees. We're taking the home team. That's my only analysis. How How about it? I can deal.
3: That's good analysis. <laughs> Fast forward. Fast forward. Red Sox, fan. Tell you what. Tomorrow, Ryan Horvat for some NBA Finals betting advice. I am sure we'll have more to talk about on the DeAndre Williams front. We're going to get a decision from the NCAA in the coming days. We'll see if he'll be a Memphis Tiger yet again going into next year. Also, SEC spring meetings. Stay locked in for the show tomorrow, but that's all we have for today. Thanks to Keith Smith and Harold Grader for their contributions to the program. Also, thanks to Doc Holliday and DeAndre Williams for giving us some content. How about that? We'll be back here at the same time tomorrow, but in the meantime, Joe and Amber are going to be next. For Connor, I'm Gabe. Be easy, be safe, and enjoy the rest of your night.